We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Fellas, listen up. All you ever ask for is an opportunity. You got it today. Where else would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Be aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are going to turn around and devour my brain. The Bills make me want to Yeah, you know, it's, uh, we came up short a little bit today. I thought it was a good opportunity to get the guys out there and get, get uh, some quality reps from some of the guys that don't get maybe as many line of scrimmage, scrimmage reps as they did today. Um, and it was a good look at some of those guys. And uh, So we came up a little bit short. Uh, certainly need to do some things better. Um, but our focus at this point moves on to the playoffs. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rock Power Report podcast. I am your host, Bill season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Kruger, and that's Don McDermott from BuffaloBills.com from his post-game press conference. Chris, we are on to the playoffs. We're on to Houston. We're on to Houston. Yeah, we're on to Houston. We're on to Houston. Folks, this is our last podcast of 2019. Hopefully everybody enjoyed their holiday with their families. New Year's Eve is tomorrow. Chris... What's your stance on New Year's resolutions? Well, I don't like New Year. Well, I don't like New Year's Eve, New Year's Day to begin with in general. What? How do you not like New Year's Eve or New Year's Day? It's probably the second worst holiday behind Christmas. <laughs> okay, I need to know more about this. I Why? Hate, well, What's I'm, wrong with New Year's Day? Well, I mean, New Year's Day, I mean, if you look back at my personal history yeah. with finding information out around certain time of year. Yeah, I remember that's yeah. when you call your wife cheating. Yes. Bang. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So that's All why right. I don't like Yeah. And still a little raw there, huh? Yeah. And you know, now that there's a, a woman in my life and we have to go to dinner tomorrow night and I have to <laughs> hang out with her and not go Uber like uh I'd like to. Uh yeah, I do not like New Year's Eve or New Year's Day. Folks, and if I do I have a New Year's resolution? Fucking no. Folks, I have better things to do with my life. I want you to understand that Chris would rather spend his his New Year's Eve alone in a car filled with strangers than with his girlfriend. I'm just providing you some insight as to who Chris is as a person and why I love him. Yeah, I don't want to ruin her night. 
Now, I think New Year's resolutions might be one of the dumbest things in the entire world. I mean, think about it. What, what, what the hell is the purpose of a New Year's resolution? If you actually want to change something, what good is pinning it on an arbitrary date on the calendar? If you want to change something about yourself, you shouldn't need a whole new year in order to do it. It's like when I tell my wife, hey, there's some things I do that I know piss you off. I'm going to try to get better about them. I'm not going to say, hey, in, tw- in 2020, I'm going to stop pissing with the bathroom door open. No, I'm just going to try to stop doing that. I mean, I'm probably not going to win all the time, but it, you know what I mean? Well, yeah. I shouldn't need a holiday in order to make it happen. Yeah, my lady always says to me, hey, can you stop calling me bro? <laughs> no, I can't. <laughs> you You call me honey, so you get your own pet name and it's bro. And the worst part is, it fails. They all fail. When you make a resolution, I mean, what is this? Uh, According to businessinsider.com, 45% of Americans make New Year's Eve resolutions, and 8% of them succeed. Your odds are almost better of catching an STD than actually following through on a New Year's resolution. It's brutal. But with that said, I'm willing to make one here on the podcast with the thousand or so of you that tune in every single week. And Chris is my witness. Chris, my New Year's resolution for 2020 is going to be to limit my Twitter usage both during and immediately following Bill's football games. I know! There's people who just started clapping. There's people who are, like, right now, round of applause. Because it's probably one of the first things I've said that made sense in a long time. Yes. (laughs) Now, Chris, how confident are you that I'm going to be able to do this? Uh, you'll, uh, walk back on Saturday. So it'll be what? (laughs) Three days. (laughs) We're going to see. We are going to see folks, but I'll tell you this, this weekend, there was nothing to tweet. There was no tweet storm coming from the rock pile report over here on Twitter. Even though we lost Chris, I still feel like we got the better end of the deal here. And so why don't we just dive right into this with our week 17 recap. Jets 16, Bills 6. My stats of the game. Josh Allen, 3 of 5 for 5 yards. He literally just threw screen passes and then got the fuck out of Dodge. Matt Barkley, 18 of 38, good for 51%, 232 yards, 0 touchdowns, 2 interceptions, 2 fumbles, and a 48.8 rating. Sam Darnold, 23 of 36, good for 63.8%. 199 yards, one touchdown, one pick, one fumble, and a 76 rating. Tight end Tommy Sweeney, 5 of 5 for 76 yards. Duke Williams, what was that, 9 of 12 for 108 yards, which is a career high. McKenzie, 15 yards per carry. Trent Murphy, 3 tackles, 2 tackles for a loss, 2 sacks. Le'Veon Bell. 3.6 yards per touch, no touchdowns. The Jets were 5 of 14 on third down. And the Bills somehow, despite only scoring six points, outgained the Jets 309 yards to 271. Chris, Sunday was an absolute blast. First of all, this is the first season, Chris, that I think in in terms of tailgating, that we haven't had to use the heater. We didn't yeah. have to bring a propane heater. And you got a new one for this year, too. I, I specifically went out and bought this DeWalt heavy-duty worksite heater that kicks about 45,000 BTUs. This thing will warm up your garage from 10 degrees to 50 in under 20 minutes. It's incredible. And we didn't even get to break it out. 
I'm almost a little disappointed by that. I mean, the weather yesterday could have been better, right? Yeah. It's, of, of any game, last game of the season is the first one you get rain. <laughs> it was wet. But the tailgate was a ton of fun because a ton of people came out. I mean, the list of people that we... First of all, Chris, a toast to Ted Gartland and Vince from Lackawanna. Ted, thank you for sending us money for beer that has been put to fantastic use. It's going to keep us hydrated. Or would they be dehydrated? No, hydrated. (laughs) Through the playoffs. Then, thank you for Vince from Lackawanna. Longtime listener of the podcast. Came in from out of town. He's visiting, and he stops by our tailgate, and he shows up with a six-pack of Bell's uh, what a double two-hearted IPA. Oh, it made my morning. I mean, I think it's... There's, what, 11% alcohol? It definitely set the tone for the party. And there's a funny story about this. So Vince is an older gentleman. He comes up, and he's talking to us about the podcast, and you know we're introducing him to the rest of the guests who are here at the tailgate. And Chris, he said one of the most memorable things for him from the tailgate, the quote of the day was when Chris approached him and said, and I quote, (laughs) it's impressive that someone as old as you would listen to a podcast. Yeah, usually when my mom asks, (laughs) usually when my mom, my mom will say, how do I listen to it? And I have to explain it to her again. (laughs) And she uses an iPhone, so it's even more difficult than the norm. That is ageism, Chris, and we don't discriminate here on the Rock Pile Report. I do. <laughs> and his friends, Andy and Joe, came. We, went, we did shots. We drank. It was a lot of fun. So thank you guys for showing up. My, co- my wife's cousin, Mike, came, and he brought me a cigar, which was a nice touch in the morning. The girls, our old, su- quote-unquote, Sunday family, the two girls that we used to have season tickets with, they came, brought their friends. They brought some great food, as, as women tend to do. I was a little disappointed that Allie didn't bake anything. I think I, I think I specifically talked her out of it. I, I want to go on record and say that. I should choke you out. And then one of the guests of honor, Mr. Rowan Keating from Australia, our second Aussie to make it to the Rockpell Report tailgate this season. And he told us a really interesting story. While we're standing around drinking beer, he pre, you know, what these Aussies like to do apparently is fly to the U.S. and then literally travel the country hitting up multiple sporting events before they have to go back. Which, Chris, I mean, I, it makes sense. You're not flying all the way here just to see the Bills. You're going to take it in as much as you can while you're here, right? Correct. Okay. So Rowan went to the Chicago Bears game a few weeks ago. I believe it was against the Chiefs. Monday night or Sunday night? I believe so. And... He's watching this game play out, and he's sitting there surrounded by Bears fans, and he said they were loud, they were vibrant, they were, a, they were a great crowd for the first two quarters. And then as the game just inevitably turned to shit, as the entire Bears season has, the fans were booing and lamenting, openly lamenting, the, the direction of their team. Okay? The fact that they, have, they, they gave up all their draft picks, that they have no cap space, that they don't trust their head coach. He heard some fan refer to the Jay Cutler years as the good days. Chris, do you know how insane that is? That's very insane. I'm a, huge, I'm a fan of Matt Nagy. I like what he brings to the table. He just doesn't have the right quarterback. And apparently, there is some jealousy from another fan base as stored as the Chicago Bears because they're not the Buffalo Bills. Let that sink in, folks. There are some lunatics running around Chicago right now Lamenting the fact that the Chicago Bears are not as well set up for the future as the Buffalo Bills. Damn it, that doesn't make you happy. 
<laughs> Chris, I like hearing that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah, it's great that uh, the Bears wish that they were us. <laughs> so, if we're going to start breaking down the game action, the actual game itself, Chris, I feel like we should take a really in-depth look at Matt Barkley's air yards per attempt, his passing chart, the pl- and maybe, maybe break down the play design with him at quarterback. No, God! No, God, please, no! 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 <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, in the words of Randy Jackson, that's going to be a no for me, dog. Me no for me, dog. I don't want to hear that shit. <laughs> Nobody. I mean, Chris, there's not a whole lot that you can try to provide in terms of schematic dissection from a game like that. You just can't. No, we just played most of our backups. Who mm-hmm. gives a rip? Why would you? Why would you even try? I guarantee you there's going to be some Bills podcasts out there attempting it this week. Godspeed. More power to you, but I, I can't do it. I mean... Making you all listen to me try to parse through things that meaningless, someone is going to call the cops on me for abuse. But there were some overarching things that I did take away from the game that were interesting. The first one is that despite benching so many of our key starters, there's still some injuries that are going to take a toll on this team coming into the playoffs. I mean, Chris, when you showed me the inactive list as we're walking into the stadium, I laughed. It was everybody. Chris, anybody who mattered was on the sideline. Cole Beasley, John Brown, Andre Roberts, uh, Devin Singletary, Trey White, Dawson Knox, Shaq Lawson. And then you knew that they were going to give some of these players a couple plays, like Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde. Josh Allen. And they were going to get them right the hell out of Dodge. So, you know what I mean? You knew coming into it that that's what was going to happen. But still, this specter of injury rears its ugly head, and now we've got a problem. We just saw Ty Inseki get back on the field. He immediately goes down with an ankle injury. Cody Ford, Chris, I hadn't even really gotten over the shock of the first injury. And as I'm coming back down the tunnel with beer, the first time all season that I've bought beer at a Bills game, there I see somebody else getting helped off. And I'm like, wait a minute, is that fucking Ford? Why? What is happening here? I almost threw my beer. Well, who else plays right tackle besides those two? <sighs> It's it's not good. And now what we have here is a real issue with tackle depth. Now, by all accounts, Ford returns to the game. He seems fine. You know, not overly gimpy, so he makes it through the game. But, Chris, you're going into a playoff game. A playoff game in which J.J. Watt is scheduled to return. The okay. last thing you need are problems with your offensive tackles. This is the worst timing for an injury like that. It, it's just, and what, do you, what can you do, Chris? We've been spoiled all year. But, man, does that fucking blow. I mean, wouldn't you say that the last couple of seasons we've had worse offensive lines than this one? Yes. Okay, and I vaguely remember Houston, I don't know if it was a road game or home game, but I remember we were playing Houston maybe two years ago, and J.J. Watt was just, Blanks on the score sheet with against the worst offensive line. That's fair. I have confidence in our coaching staff that they'll be able to game plan around J.J. Watt for well, this. And then the injuries didn't stop on the offensive side of the ball. The defense also took some key hits. The Bills lost Teron Johnson and Levi Wallace to injury. Wallace was carted off the field. 
and Johnson limped off, and both were, had to be replaced by backups. Chris, it got so bad at one point, they put Isaiah McKenzie out there as a cornerback. You're playing a wide receiver, which I guess, I mean, it's been done before. I mean, think about yeah, it. Do you remember George Wilson? Yeah. George Wilson, who played safety for us, he started out as a wide receiver and had to transition in order to find a niche at the NFL level. But that doesn't mean I want to see it happen in the middle of a game. Not mid-game like that. That's, that's lunacy. The Wallace injury, when you look at the two of them, is probably the bigger one. When you consider that Teron Johnson was previously replaced by Saron Neal. Now, Saron Neal's become a special team standout for us as a gunner. But at the same time, he, he's proven that he can come in and play that slot DB role. And in fact, if anything, having a little bit bigger athlete like him, I mean, Johnson's a willing tackler, but he's a small guy. So I think we'll be okay. They're, I mean, they're going to have to do some coaching around that injury, but things, things could be worse. What kills me is this injury to Wallace. Don't know how you fill the second cornerback spot on this team, Chris. I mean, Kevin Johnson has played well in spots, but we've never asked him to start a whole game. Yeah, usually if you ask him to do that, he probably gets injured. <laughs> if you look at the guy funny, he gets injured. And the thing is that when you're looking at what our scheme is, they, they like to mix man and zone coverages, but when it comes to zone, which is kind of the backbone of what this defensive scheme is made of, Wallace is the better cornerback in that system. So it's it's hard for me to, I don't know, it's hard to feel great about going into this game against Houston with the mix of talents on the outside that we've seen there all year. Now we're down our best number two cornerback in terms of zone coverage. I mean, you might recall during a podcast we were talking about the fact that the Bills usually play Kevin Johnson to cover man coverage duty because that's where Levi Wallace was getting beat. You remember the Miami game where he gave up eight receptions? Correct. So they figured out that they could play Kevin Johnson in man situations. Let Levi Wallace play the zone. Well, now you don't have that luxury and you're going to have to kind of square peg round hole a guy on the outside and just hope that when you do play zone, he's not a liability. I, I mean, and meanwhile, because before that, they were putting him in for man coverage when they would blitz. I, it's going to be really interesting to see how this coaching staff come, comes back from that and how they have to change the way that they try to create pressure, knowing that you may not have the zone protection on that side that you think you do, or that you used to have when Wallace was healthy. As of his 4 p.m. presser, Chris, McDermott didn't have any updates on any of these player statuses. I mean, I get it, it's Monday. So it may be one of those things where they just haven't practiced, or they just don't have enough information at this point to really know about the injury, because it just happened 24 hours ago. Plus, they're not going to tell us anyway. So we'll no. have to wait until Saturday for to see who's inactive. And then, Chris, the thing I liked about this game, and the reason why I don't think you lost a game, boo-hoo, but I took a lot away that was positive. With so many benchings, we learned a few things about some of the depth players on this roster. First of all, Trent Murphy. Trent Murphy, with no Shaq Lawson and no Jerry Hughes, was essentially relied on to be our defensive end number one. And he had probably, he was the most visible on Sunday that he's been all season. Going up against another team starting offensive line. That's got to, for me, I look at that and I say, that's got to give him a boost of confidence. The fact that he was able to rush the passage successfully. He was, he was able to get back there and break up plays in the backfield. Bring down ball carriers behind the line of scrimmage. He was able to do a lot of nice things without a ton of help around him. 
which is something that he struggled with when, when even when all of our starters were out there. I mean, Chris, did you see anything on the defensive line or from our defense that you, you know, stood out to you in terms of backups? Absolutely not. <laughs> because you're learning, right? You're learning, but you're still... Or I would I was more into talking to you, Rowan, and for the hot minute that Dan Campbell was there <laughs> that sits next to us. <laughs> I could have cared less about watching this game. So then the... Uh, <clears throat> One of the other things I really appreciated was the fact that Tommy Sweeney, tight end Tommy Sweeney, that kid has some chops. Sweeney was a surprise, a pleasant surprise for me on a day when we expected to see a large number of reps for these backup caliber players. Not only did he go out and rack up yardage and caught 100% of the passes thrown his way, but the fact is he was generating yards after the catch and had all but one of his catches come eight or more yards downfield. Chris, that stands out to me. You Think back, Chris. How angry were we last season? I mean, think about at any point during 2017 or 2018, when we looked at our tight end group, there was no production. None. There was no production to speak of. None. Our number not one even, tight end. Not even Chuck Clay. Our, our number one... Eight and a half to nine million dollar a year tight end finished the year with less than two hundred yards receiving, and Sweeney literally almost got half of that in his one of his first outings as a football player. I think that watching Sweeney come out and have the game that he did illustrates not that he's a stud, but the it kind of highlights Chris how drastically they've overhauled that tight end position in just one single offseason. Yeah, what we had two, we had a, drafted Knox and Sweeney. Use what a fourth and a sixth or seventh on them. Yep, seventh, and then you brought in Tyler Croft. You brought right. in Lee Smith. So now you have blocking specialists who have NFL experience, but they've been able to tutor this young kid, who now comes in and plays really well. Plays really well for a seventh round draft pick, Chris. What you're seeing now is depth, depth that we didn't even have starters last year. Now we have guys that. In the offseason, if they say, hey, after training camp, Tyler Croft, Tyler Croft might be on notice depending on how this Sweeney kid continues to develop. But it's nice knowing that there's something going on there at a position that was driving everybody crazy. Speaking of there, Chris, uh, TJ Yeldon. It was nice to see him hold on to the football, even though it was raining. <laughs> he he was there. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. Chris, you and I have argued on this podcast multiple times this season about the usage of TJ Yeldon and him not being incorporated into the roster or the game plan. I mean, just last week you and I were talking about it, arguing why if Frank Gore's not going to see a single touch, why isn't TJ Yeldon out there? I'm not going to lie. Got to see it with my own two eyes and I was not impressed. Not impressed. Just, just not. He obviously still has hands and can catch the ball. That's always been a staple of his game, and we knew that about him already. But when he was asked to run the football, Chris, it was hard to watch. It was hard to watch TJ Yeldon try to be a running back. Only two of his seven carries made it more than two yards past the line of scrimmage. If you take out his two long 12-yard runs, what you're left with is a day that sees him finish with a negative rushing total. Ooh, like Reggie Bush. <laughs> like, very Reggie Bush-esque. And it, it was frustrating, because I guess 
I oversold in my own mind what TJ Yeldon was and what he was capable of. Yeah, because he went to Alabama. <laughs> Roll time. But then you throw in the fact that he doesn't play special teams. Chris, I think we both have to admit, maybe the staff understands that having Frank Gore, even if you're not going to give him a single carry for an entire game, he still carries more value as just a veteran presence on the sideline and as a pass blocker, even as just a decoy, than T.J. Yeldon does as a running back. And based on what I saw on Sunday, I, I can't. I, I'm done. I'm hanging it up, Chris. Mark this down as the day that Drew Gear climbed down off Mount T.J. Yeldon. I'm finished. I've seen enough. And then, Duke Williams part due. Yeah, that's right. I got French on you, Chris. You probably can't, you probably can't even spell that, can you? No, even though I am uh, a little bit French. It explains the hair. Exactly. <laughs> it explains the hair and the, the Chelsea boots and the skinny salmon-colored jeans. <laughs> well, they're called chinos, but you know, I don't have salmon-colored jeans because salmon oh. is not a color. Oh, my God. <laughs> Duke Williams saw his second start in a Bills uniform, which obviously pumped up the fan base. I mean, people were excited when he came out of the tunnel, when he was he got his first catch, people were going nuts. I'm not going to say that I analyzed every single one of his, his reps. What I noticed and that I think is encouraging for his development, when you look back at his chart from week five and you look at his where his receptions came, the routes he ran, et cetera, et cetera, it's, you saw him deployed more as a possession wide receiver. He ran a couple short routes kind of in front of the linebackers, off to the sideline within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage, and that's really all they gave him. It's all the run that he was allowed to have. They opened things up for him as kind of the number one wide receiver with all of our other wide receivers benched. And he, I think he responded really well. When you look at his route chart, you'll see a player who ran a, an incredibly varied group of routes. You saw go routes downfield, slants, deep crosses, deep outs. His last start against the Titans, he was only targeted more than eight yards downfield. That's it. No, 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 no 10 yards, 12 yards. On Sunday, he posted catches of 6 yards, 11 yards, 14, and 40 air yards before he even put his hands on the football. Literally beating the Jets at every single level of their defense. That speaks to the fact that he's developing as a player. It's exciting to hear that he's got some upshot, and that's why he's this week's Hero of the Week. Do you know who the real heroes are? The guys who wake up every morning and go into their normal jobs and get a distress call from the commissioner and take off their glasses and change into capes and fly around fighting crime. Now, what was interesting to me is that in today's, uh, uh, Sean McDermott's meeting with the press today, according to Matt Perino at New York Up, he was asked, um, essentially asked about Duke Williams and whether or not that performance that he just had was going to be enough to propel him into possibly a spot on the roster for the playoff game. And McDermott said that it's all going to be based on practice this week, but he absolutely thinks that whoever is going to go out there and give him the best chance to open up their playbook and make plays, they're going to get an opportunity. Chris, who else on this roster has been put in a position to see targets on offense and actually produced outside of Cole Beasley and John Brown? Robert Foster. You shut your mouth. I had to drink a <laughs> Seagram's because of that guy. Three catches. You're only going to give me three. 
Chris, in a, in a single NFL season, if anyone gave a shit enough to try, I don't know a player that couldn't catch three passes. And yet here's Robert Foster. Good for him, but I, Chris, they like him because of his versatility on special teams, something Duke Williams doesn't do. But I'd still, Chris, right now we need a size mismatch. We need something to vary up our wide receiver core. It'll be really interesting this week to see if Duke Williams does enough in practice to convince the staff that he's ready to play a little bit more of a role in the most important game of our entire season. And then, our zero of the week, Jets head coach Adam Gase. (laughs) Wow, you suck at this. Or should we call him Wyatt V18, Chris? Dude's got a burner account. Not only did the man's offense puke all over itself against a group of backup defenders, but apparently he may have been caught utilizing a burner account on Twitter to defend himself from all kinds of criticism that was being being slung his way. I mean, Chris, this isn't a joke. During his end-of-season presser today, he was asked no fewer than three questions on the topic, at which point he gave a shitty answer and ended the meeting. Chris? Um, explain to, to the people why Wyatt V18, like why, well, where is this theory about this being his burner account coming from? Well, it's simple. Wyatt is his kid's name. V stands for Vit because he is married to the daughter of Joe Vit, who was involved in that uh, Saints bounty scandal. And then 18, because his claim to fame is Peyton Manning, who wears 18. Folks, we're Mystery out here, solved. We're out here having conversations about coaches with burner accounts. I mean, these are wild times. Wild times. Adam Gase, Chris, raise a glass. To Adam Gase in his first unsuccessful season in the AFC East as head coach of the Jets, hopefully the first of many. <clears throat> but my final thoughts, <clears throat> walking away from this game. In a meaningless game, without our starters, the Bills played most of what was a terrible game stride for stride with the starters of the New York Jets. In the middle of the game, leading into halftime, there's some Jets fans sitting a row behind us. And I go over there and I start talking to them. Because I'm just like, where did you guys come from? Or do you live around here? Or did you drive all the way up here for this game? And I asked him at halftime, when they're tied 3-3 three to three with the Bills backups, I said, hey... how does this feel being here in the rain watching this the guy said and I quote this one hurts hurts real bad I paid for this it just hurts real bad I think I think they came with an expectation that the Jets were going to roll us because you're playing a a bunch of backups is that accurate Chris yeah it is you shouldn't put up three points and a half on backups. I mean, in all honesty, the game was more of a loss for the Jets than it was the Bills. Your offensive guru head coach was out-schemed for three quarters by an under-talented defensive unit. Your prize quarterback somehow threw for fewer yards to starting NFL wide receivers than Matt Barkley did to a bunch of backups and some practice squad guys. And then the singular touchdown that you put up on the board actually pushed you farther down the draft board. Chris, they could have had the eighth pick in the draft. If you're a bad football team and you have a lot of holes, the last thing you need to do is piss away draft capital. 
And instead, you bumped yourself down three spots in the draft this year. I mean, no, Chris, we didn't win the game, but that's not what's important to come out of Sunday. Our backups got some valuable experience, and we get to see some of the developmental building blocks of this roster illustrate the way they've grown since the last time we saw them on the field, whether it was preseason, early in the year, whether you know what I mean? Correct. So, yes, it did come at the expense of some of our, some of our important, healthier players. So while it is a little bittersweet, ultimately this week was a success in my mind. Do you feel the same way? Yes, it was a success. There wasn't uh, any season-ending injuries, allegedly. And, uh, yeah, we're on to Houston. On to Houston. And with that, the NFL regular season is in the books, and we are on to the playoffs. Uh, playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. You kidding me? Playoffs? That's You're damn right, Mora. Playoffs! The Buffalo Bills are going to the playoffs! And that's what we're here to talk about in this week's segment of the AFC Playoff Picture, Week 17 edition. Chris, the matchups are set in stone. And it involved a major shakeup of the landscape. Yeah, nobody saw it coming. So you got your first round buys belonging to to the Baltimore Ravens and the Kansas City Chiefs. The Ravens having a first round buy as the number one seed was pretty much a foregone conclusion. After they beat the Jets, clinched their division... You knew they didn't have a whole lot left to play for, but I mean, it's not surprising to see that they've locked that down. You knew it was coming. Yes. Meanwhile, the Chiefs were pretty much pegged as a wildcard team. Right up until the New England Patriots puked in their own laps. Literally just vomited down the front of their shirts. Like, like that kid who has too many slushies and then tries to get on the Gravitron at mm. the fair. Yeah. That, that was the New England Patriots on Sunday. Somehow losing to Ryan Fitzpatrick and the four-win Miami Dolphins. <laughs> Chris, I can you imagine the crowd leaving Foxborough? <laughs> I bet they all spent their ride home butchering the English language way more aggressively than they normally do. It was, it was a bad night in Southie, I'm sure. That loss was massive. Not only giving a banged-up Chiefs team some time to recover but also putting the Patriots into a position where they now have to play in the wild card round of which they have never attended a Super Bowl when they've had to, as a franchise, when they've had to play in the wild card round. That's good news. Oh, it's amazing. Now, this brings us to wild card weekend. And it's weird because normally, Chris, when you're breaking down the matchups, typically wild card weekend is split in such a way that you get one NFC and one AFC game on each day. Yep, usually done the same for the divisional. So the fact that they changed it this year, do, do, what do you think may have played into that? I was surprised by it, but if you uh, if you look at it, for wild card weekend specifically, you have, your, you have one game to ESPN ABC, you have one game to NBC, you have one game to Fox, one game to CBS. So it just, I guess it just went down to the network's options to get games. That's okay. how it landed as two AFC matchups on Saturday. Well, there's two going on on Saturday. The AFC, both of them are playing, and they're going to be doozies. Chris, at 8 p.m., New England Patriots versus the Tennessee Titans. To me, Chris, this is a nightmare scenario for the Patriots right now. The Patriots offense continues to struggle to find consistency. 
Tom Brady, he's playing some of his ugliest football in years. You think about back to that Miami game, which, yes, because we are the pettiest, we're the pettiest Bills podcast. I have rewatched that entire game no fewer than three times. And it just happened yesterday. He was erratic. His throws were all over the place. And that's the reason that he finishes that loss to Miami just 16, or what, 16 of 29. He literally almost went 50% completion percentage and threw a pick. He literally got outplayed by Ryan Fitzmagic. Chris, how do you not love that guy? I love Fitzmagic. I, I wish like... he was my dad. <laughs> you wish you had his facial there? Yes. There's, there's actually talk that the Kansas City Chiefs want to bring Fitzpatrick to Kansas City and have him bang the drum when the team comes out. <laughs> Wild times, man. Ryan Fitzpatrick. And then when you look at what's wrong with their defense, I mean, Devontae Parker roasted Stephon Gilmore to the tune of over 100 yards receiving. Chris, it wasn't even close. I showed you some of the catches he gave up down the stretch on their game-clinching drive. Yeah, that was Gilmore fun was to watch. was nowhere to be found. Yeah. He went missing. One of the the scariest thing for the Patriots here, their defense was the toast of the NFL early on in the season. But they've been showing cracks for the better part of the last month, which is completely unlike Patriots teams of the past, who usually December is when they start ramping up their play. Now this is a team that's they're kind of just flailing. They're flailing here in the wind. And they're going to face a team that just might be enough of a hammer to blow this whole thing wide open. This is a nightmare matchup for them in the sense that the Titans as a team, from their 255 just pound freight train of a running back in Derrick Henry, their massive tight end, Jonu Smith, who if nobody knows who he is, he probably won some people their fantasy football championships out there. Yeah, he had like the longest run as a tight end in the last 40 years. And then their rookie wide receiver, A.J. Brown. He's a big guy with a big catch radius who plays fearless, and he's a hammer with yards after the catch. They, the, the, the staple of Titans football is they play with a level of physicality that even some of the most athletic defenses have a hard time playing with for four straight quarters. They grind you, Chris. They just pump. They, they just punch away at you. It's like it's like those Rocky movies, you know. Rocky's not as big as Apollo Creed, but you know what he can't. Or or uh, Ivan Drago, but you know what he can do. It's like cutting down a tree. It's just body blows, one after the other after the other. And then in the fourth quarter, when Derrick Henry starts snapping off twenty to thirty yard runs, because your your defenders just don't want to tackle him anymore. They just can't. There's no gas left in the tank. They they grind you down and roll over you like a Sherman tank. And then they play ball control football because Ryan Tannehill has quietly been one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the game. Limits his turnovers. Is efficient in, in terms of they don't ask him to make complicated throws. They trust that the physicality of their wide receivers and tight ends can get the, get the job done after the ball's in their hands. And the most important thing, Ryan Tannehill ain't taking orders from Adam Gase. <laughs> no, no, he's not. No, the, he's been freed. He's free at last! Free at last! And Ryan Tannehill all of a sudden looks like a good NFL quarterback. So with that said, Chris, I can't imagine a better opponent for a team of older players like the 2019 Patriots, right? Yes. Yeah, that's right. So, Chris, a toast. 
Here's the hoping that the Tennessee Titans literally club Brady and the rest of those age jerk-offs into a nursing home. Also, also a cheers to your liver that may it see Sunday if Tennessee wins that game. <laughs> oh, it's going to be wild, folks, because that's the 8 o'clock game. But the 4 o'clock game, oh, Chris, we all know where we're going to be. That is right, Bills fans. We are going to be at my house, the Fortress of Solitude, for the wild card playoffs. The Buffalo Bills are back. The Buffalo Bills in the wild card playoffs versus the Houston Texans. The time, 435 Eastern Standard. The place, NRG Stadium, Houston, Texas. The weather, it's in a dome. Chris, it's in a dome in Texas. Yeah. If, that, if that's not weatherproof, I don't know, I don't know what is. Mm-hmm. On the call, I'm sure you'll all be thrilled by this. ESPN's Monday Night Football crew, Joe Tessitore and Booger McFarlane. Booger McFarland, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to preface this now with a warning. Prepare yourself to hear some of the most pedantic commentary you've ever heard. Some of the most, Chris, blatant observations that you and I can make from the couch. Booger McFarland will say with a straight face as if it's something new and groundbreaking. God help you if you try to watch this game sober. The crew, according to footballzebras.com, we have Tony Carrenti. Now, Chris, he's a veteran. He's been around. He's also an asshole. Yes. Yes, he is. And the line. The Bills are plus three on the road. Now, Chris, that line right there says a lot about how closely matched these two teams really are, despite all the statistical and emotional nonsense that might say otherwise. It's uh, basically uh, a toss-up. You know, you get three for home field advantage. I mean, I mean, that's it. And it seems like the odds makers in Vegas, despite our perceived lack of star power, are still taking the Bills in their 6-2 and two road record pretty seriously. And you know why that is, Chris? Half of that is because our fans travel so well. You know, for those of you who are trying to make it down to the game, now I take a look here. There's an article over at Buffalo Rumblings today, which, again, I'm not genuinely a Buffalo Rumblings guy. But I saw it on Twitter and I couldn't help but look. If you are heading down to Houston for the game, the Bills Backers Bar in Houston, Christian's Tailgate Bar and Grill, the Midtown location. What they're going to do is they're going to put on a party the night before. They're going to have hours the day of. On Saturday, there's going to be a dedicated parking lot for fan, Bills fans that's going to open early. Okay? And it's in within walking distance of NRG Stadium. So if you're trying to get down there and you're looking for a place to party with the rest of Bills Mafia, Christian's Tailgate Bar and Grill. It's over on Fannin Street. Go ahead, look it up. You pay to park, set up your tailgate. We, Chris, we travel, and we've been known to drink whole cities dry. Yeah, Houston will be a challenge. It's like a, a one of the most uh, populated cities, I think, in America. So I would love to see Bills Mafia drink that city dry. Hey, if there's anything the Bills, hey, if there's anything we like, is it's a challenge. Come yeah. on now, don't threaten me with a good time. <laughs> <laughs> but so this three-point line, Chris, it really got me thinking today. I mean, I don't blame the odds makers. 
look. First of all, look at what we've done. You go into a game against the Patriots where you're a touchdown underdog, and yet you hold the lead in the fourth quarter. I feel like that experience alone has scared some of these guys into believing that this team could probably make some noise in the playoffs. And at the same time, when you look at who the Texans are, the Texans get more national pomp and circumstance than the, than the Buffalo Bills. And rightfully so. They have a young star quarterback who's done a lot of great things in his time in the league. They've gotten more, I don't know, with Watson at the helm of the offense and J.J. Watt at defensive end. They seem like they have enough firepower to put on a hell of a show when you, do, when, when you put them on television. DeAndre Hopkins at wide receiver. I mean, Chris, that guy is a big play waiting to happen. And yet, under Bill O'Brien, this Texans team has gone 1-3 and three in the postseason while being outscored 99-50. to 50. And that singular win that they have came when they went up against legendary NFL quarterback Connor Cook after Derek Carr of the Raiders broke his leg two weeks before the playoffs. You know, elite Derek Carr. Yeah, that's when he started to take a... Downward spiral for his career. Yikes. Chris, when you when you hear things like that, how afraid of this Texans team do you feel like you should be? How much anxiety are you carrying into this game? Not a whole lot. What do you mean not a whole lot? None? There's no concern for you? Not really, because this is the best matchup that we could have asked for. Well, and I guess you're right on that front. I mean, this feels like a beatable team. There was a funny moment in the locker room after the Jets game on uh, Jets game on Sunday when Lorenzo Alexander was asked about what the team would have to improve upon going forward in order to be considered or to fancy themselves as a quote-unquote legit contender. We're legit, we're legit now. Legit we're legit now. now. Obviously, we're, we're still young. I mean, you think about the quarterback position, we're still young there, but he's growing each and every single week. But all it takes is get hot at the right time, start clicking at the right time, and uh, you'll see wild card teams. I know several of them because I've lost to several of them, and they end up in the Super Bowl and winning it. And so uh, we have the confidence that we can play with anybody because we've played against the Patriots, played them head-to-head, toe-to-toe. We just got to obviously figure a couple of things out. The same thing with the Ravens. Um, so we're not scared to, to compete or see anybody in the playoffs, and you have to have that type of confidence. So. And we're going to be on the road. And we've played very well on the road. Um, you know, really no conscious and, and have played at a high level. And um, as long as you travel well with your defense, which we have one of the top defenses in the league and with your special teams, really anything is possible. That's Lorenzo Alexander, post-game press conference over at buffalobills.com. He's exactly right. Chris, why should this team be afraid of the Houston Texans? They already played two of the best teams in football. You already played them, and yeah, you lost those games. But you gave them a fight that most people haven't. I mean, short of the Miami Dolphins. (laughs) 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 But no, seriously, with that said, there's a reason Lorenzo Alexander is still here. And it's, it's that mentality that he's instilling in these young guys around him. And that's the pulse of this team. And I think that that needs to be the pulse of this fan base. Because, Chris... I'm not scared of the Houston Texans. I'm not. I mean, it starts off here. Philosophically, who are the Texans? I mean, we're all aware that on offense, the Texans are loaded with talent. 
They've got wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins, who's one of the most consistent threats in the NFL. He can do everything. He can, Chris, multiple-time pro bowler, all-pro type talent. He's, he's just ridiculous. And he sees, he puts up these statistical seasons, and he does all of this stuff while seeing constant double teams, while always seeing the other team's best cornerback. You look at the other wide receivers that have made up the roster for the season. Wide receiver Will Fuller, Kenny Stills, who are veteran options, good downfield targets. Deshaun Watson, he's an accurate quarterback and a dynamic talent that can use his legs to hurt you. He can He's very accurate from the pocket. He's accurate on the run. He has arm strength to throw down the field. And his athleticism can buy him time a lot, a lot of the same ways Josh Allen does. Buys time with his feet in order to make a play downfield. And then running back Carlos Hyde, who's had a resurgent season and has really kind of provided some balance to this Texans offense. So through that lens, you'd assume that they would be right up there with the Baltimores and the Kansas Cities of the world. Just vying for the top spot in the NFL. And yet despite all the yardage that they've rolled up this season, they're here playing us in the wildcard round. I mean, the... The offense of the Texans and the Texans as a whole are something of a conundrum to prepare for as a fan because the team has been Jekyll and Hyde throughout the entire season. Chris, when you break down their their history this year through 17 weeks, they have five games with less than 200 yards passing and only one of them came against the current playoff team. They had some really mediocre performances on offense against some really shitty teams. And last I heard, we had a pretty good defense. Yeah. Yeah. Allegedly. We have a good defense. Allegedly. Allegedly. (laughs) There's some key statistics here that I think kind of touch on what, just the dichotomy of what this team is. For the Houston Texans, they're fourth in passing yards per game. They're 23rd in rushing yards per game. They're 20th in yards allowed per game at 112.8. They're seventh in rushing touchdowns allowed with nine. They're 18th in points allowed per game with 23.3. They're 23rd in the NFL in first downs allowed. And over the last five weeks, Chris, their record is four and one. They've had 98.6 yards per game rushing, 23.8 points per game. Their defense has allowed 23.6 points per game. And they have an 8-to-8 offense-to-defense turnover ratio, which puts them in the bottom 10 of the NFL over that time span. Chris, you're talking about a football team that is barely outscoring their opponents. Yeah, and they're coming. On an average, if you take a look at it, they're allowing almost as many points as they give up. Yeah, and we need our defense Where's to. score? We need to, our defense to show up like they've been doing all season, and our offense just get in the end zone three times. That's their, all we ask. Their defense, Chris, is giving up over four hundred yards per game on average over the last five weeks. Four hundred yards on average per game. So when you look at this team and you say, "Hey, why should I be afraid of the Houston Texans?" I don't know. I mean, there's and, and not only do, do they have flaws, but they're streaky. You look at them all year this year, Chris. 
Yes, they got to 10 wins. So did we. When you look at some of these things that they've done, they went on four different two-game winning streaks. And every single one of those two-game winning streaks ended with a loss to a non-playoff team. There again, they are very susceptible to letdown games. It just happens. I don't know why. No, Texans fans, you go to their fan forums over at Battle Red Blog on SB Nation. No one has a good explanation as to why their team is so hot and cold. No one knows. I think the biggest, Chris, they go into their bye week fresh off throttling the Jacksonville Jaguars 26-3. to You assume that going into a week off, you're going to come out refreshed, you're going to play a better football game, right? Yep. Okay. They come out of that bye week and get beaten by the Ravens 41-7. to that was, Chris, we tried watching that game at my house. And by the end of it, we just changed the channel because there wasn't anything competitive about that football game. It was hard to watch. No, it's mind-bottling when you beat New England at home on Sunday night. And then the following week, you throw a dud against Denver. <laughs> they are that football team. Yeah. So now, there has to be some level of concern amongst their fan base that when you rest as many starters as you did in week 17 Chris the Texans might have some difficulty putting you know getting themselves back into a rhythm it seems to be that when they have time off it doesn't bode well for them as all games do though let let's talk about injuries for a second because injuries can very much shape a game now this time of year health is always a concern especially in a one and done format any holes in your roster or your depth can play a role in ending your season prematurely. And unfortunately for Texans fans, their team has a recurring issue on this front every single season. Chris, you remember the Bills teams that were constantly injured? Yes. And how this year, we might be the healthiest we've ever been. Yes. I mean, what? We have, uh, we're going to go into the game with Cody Ford starting at right tackle, I'm assuming. Correct. Ty Saki will find out what, what his situation is. Probably won't play. Cornerback two. Wallace, they said he's day-to-day with an ankle sprain. I just read it at mid-broadcast. Day-to-day with an ankle sprain. He may not play, but he's not that far off. And we have depth behind him. Those are mild by comparison when you look at the walking wounded for Houston. Just, just, just to take it from the top. Strong safety Jaleel Day. He's, he's dealing with an Achilles injury. I don't know what that means, but I, he's questionable. Their number one cornerback, Bradley Roby, he's dealing with a hamstring injury. Questionable. Linebacker Jacob Martin has a knee injury. Also questionable. He's one of their rotational guys because they don't really have true starting inside linebackers. They, they platoon guys there. When do they get rid of Brian Cushing? <laughs> I don't know. Probably after the sixth or seventh time he got buzzed for steroids. <laughs> Brian, you, you, we get it. You, you have 26-inch arms. Put, put the needle down. Wide receiver Kenny Stills with a knee injury. And wide receiver Will Fuller with a groin and hamstring injury who has already been ruled out of the game. Now, Chris, out of... Oh, and quarterback Deshaun Watson with a back and ankle injury. Out of everybody appearing on the injury report, who do you think makes the biggest impact? Will Fuller. 
<laughs> See, Chris, you're learning things. Fuck yeah. Fuller, in my opinion, is the biggest name on this list because without him in the with him in the lineup, since they're by, they're 4-0. But the, those brutal losses to Baltimore and Dallas, Fuller was on the sideline, and their offense struggled to keep pace. When you look at the constitution of what their offense is, they, they run a vertical passing attack, and it helps when you have multiple guys, not just one in DeAndre Hopkins who can get down the field and threaten people. You need a couple guys, and they were at their best the week they beat the Patriots, that happens because Kenny Skill still scores two touchdowns because the Patriots are forced to put their third and fourth best DBs on Kenny Stills, who's a veteran presence who can still bring in the ball downfield. He's not going to run all the routes, though. And so that is almost a detriment to the team when it comes to what he can supply as a number two trying to play on the outside. It really does subtract from what they're able to put out there on offense. And then when you look at Watson... Watson's health is a legitimate question coming into this game. And he was gimpy with that ankle and back injury. And when you look at his performance against Tampa Bay, 183 yards. Chris, doesn't that kind of strike the narrative of, hey, Deshaun Watson with DeAndre Hopkins and with Kenny Stills and with all of their offensive starters and Carlos Hyde in at running back only generated 183 yards passing against Tampa Bay? Yeah, that doesn't sound right. No, it doesn't. Especially with how many times James Winston likes to give you the football. <laughs> well, and that's the thing. When you look at what's happened with him the, over the last two games, Deshaun Watson's last two games, something's wrong with this guy. Now, I'm not going to say that it's, who knows, I mean, maybe it's wishful thinking, but I'm looking statistically at him. He has a 64.4% completion percentage in his last two games. Two picks, or excuse me, two touchdowns to three interceptions. He's taken six sacks in his last two games, Chris. Yeah, well, Houston's got that stud offensive line. <laughs> he's he's essentially, you know, when you when you break it down and you look at what it is he's doing back there, he's orchestrating the offense. They're winning football games. What can you say about it? He won both of his last two starts. But statistically, and when you watch the tape, it's not nearly as polished as what you'd think Deshaun Watson would be putting on tape. He's just not as sharp as you'd expect him to be. And I think that these injuries are playing a role in that. I also think that the offensive line is very much letting him down. I mean, the offensive line has been a sieve. They're what? twenty? I think they're ranked 21st in quarterback hits allowed. Seems about right. That's not good. You traded for Laramie Tunsil, and it didn't get better. Well, they traded multiple first-round picks, right? What a what a ridiculous trade. Oh, wait, Bill O'Brien, your coach. <laughs> he made that trade. It's yeah. hysterical. So now, when you take a look side-by-side, side, each unit of this Houston Texans team on defense, J.J. Watt is expected to play this week. Now, Chris, a guy coming off a pectoral tear, a significant injury, having not had a lot of time around the team, a lot of time to rehab or get right. I don't expect him to be an every-down player. I mean, I almost expect them to use him as a pass rush specialist, which is still problematic for us because that means you're dealing with a fresh J.J. Watt probably going up against a Cody Ford more often than not. How 
how scared of that are you? I'm not that scared because I said earlier in the show, I've seen us hold J.J. Uh, Watt off the score sheet with worse offensive lines in previous seasons. And he's just been off. He's just been injured a lot the last couple of seasons to where I'm not that. I'm not that worried about J.J. Watt. That makes one of us. I think that they could actually do themselves a favor by limiting his snap count and using him full speed on obvious passing downs. He could be an absolute game changer for them if he truly is healthy enough to see more than, I don't know, Chris, let's call it every second long and third down if you were to put him out there on the field. Yeah he would make a bigger impact than if you tried to use him as an every-down player. That's going to be an interesting tenant of this game to keep an eye on. But I understand why they want to rush him out there, because this defense is bad. Chris, they are the worst statistical defense left in the playoffs. Yeah, that's right. Worst. Yeah, that's right when you don't have Brian Cushing. Their offense has scored an almost identical game-by-game average as their defense allows, which I think is incredible. The fact that you've won 10 games behind that might be a little bit impressive when you take it in as a whole and you say, wait a minute, you've barely outscored your competition over the course of the entirety of the season. But look who they get to play six games against a year. That's true. That is true. Their division is easy. They came into week 17 before they sat all their starters, ranked 31st in the league for first down completion percentage allowed. And last place in the entire NFL in red zone defense. Now, Chris, when the field is condensed, it should be easier, not harder to play defense. But it seems like when teams get in close, they find a way to punch it into the end zone on this team, which is part of their problem. It's why they struggled against a team like the Ravens, where you can't commit a goal line stand if this team is just going to pound it down your throat. That was something that early on in the year, I think you'll remember, the Bills were like one of what, in the top five or ten for red zone scoring percentage? Yes. If we can figure out how to harness that and get back to that against a poor coverage unit, especially the linebackers, I think the problem is you brought up Brian Cushing. One of the biggest problems that this Houston Texans defense has is that they don't have a premier interior linebacker. They do some things really well. I mean, Chris, they won 10 games. Their defensive line is pretty solid. But outside of that, their linebackers are average. I remember you being, don't they have Cunningham? Yes. I remember you being high on him in the draft. Zach Cunningham was a player I really liked in the draft. And he's an athlete. He's out there. But he's also injury prone. He's been, you know, I think he's been nicked up over the course of the year. And in fact, I want to take a look at it just to see. I, I don't know what his snap counts are. But ultimately, when you look at the defensive talent that they have on that side of the field, they're just not... Chris, they don't have... I mean, Zach Cunningham has two sacks, 137 tackles, but not the type of, you know what I mean, not the type of impact player you'd expect to get when you're drafting that high. Ultimately, their linebacking core leaves a lot to be desired. You know, they've got Bernard McKinney, who's old, Zach Cunningham, Brent Scarlett. Whitney Merciless is the only impact player of that group. And he plays more around the line of scrimmage than he does back in coverage, which I think speaks to the problems that they have. I mean, when you look at it, 
when you look at pressure packages, Chris, that's given the Bills fits. All season long, when teams put pressure on Allen, that's how you can... I mean, look at the Ravens. The Ravens sent blitzes and sent pressure down after down after down for three straight quarters. And as soon as they relented because they thought their lead was big enough, Josh Allen almost brought us back and won the game. So when you look at what the Houston Texans bring to the table in terms of pressure, they're not stellar. They're 26th in the NFL in sacks. They only have one player on the entire roster who has more than five sacks, Whitney Merciless, their outside linebacker. Behind him is J.J. Watt, who hasn't played a game since week four. That's how bad this team is at getting to the quarterback. When you go down the rest of the roster and you look at where the sacks that they did get, where they came from, what you find is that outside of their defensive linemen, no one has more than one or two sacks, which underscores that their coverage is spotty. It's so spotty that they just philosophically don't like to send a ton of blitzes. And that when they do, those blitzes don't tend to get home. I mean, Chris, when you're sending pressure with linebackers, you'd see more than one linebacker with a few sacks, right? Correct. Or you'd see some DBs who have at least had quarterback hits. Nope. All of it's non-existent when you when you just look at the charts and when you look at what they've accomplished this year. That tells the story of a team that when they do send blitzes, they don't often get home, which exposes them on the back end. And at the same time, they're so gun-shy about sending those blitzes that sometimes they're just willing to sit back and let you orchestrate from the pocket. Now, Chris, the last time that a Dallas Cowboys defense decided to let Josh Allen sit back and orchestrate from the pocket, how'd that work? Not that good. Absolutely. It's th- What I see from this team is that you're not threatened with waves of pressure, which is what Josh Allen has had to deal with for the last month of our season. The Steelers game, the Patriots game, the, Cow- you know, the Cowboys game in spurts. Ultimately, that bodes well for our ability to operate our offense. I mean, Chris, I'm really not scared of that defense at all. I'm not either. I mean, they picked off... Well, they picked off, uh, what's his face, the human interception factory. James Winston. James Winston. They picked him off, what, four times? I don't know. Dude threw 30 picks this year. <laughs> I heard a funny analogy this week that James Winston going into free agency with 4,300 yards, 30 touchdowns, 34 touchdowns, and 30 interceptions is the equivalent of you going into a job interview. And you hand in your resume and you say, look, I graduated summa cum laude. I had a 3.98 GPA. I have 1,200 hours of community service. I also have five felony DWIs. <laughs> that's, that's the guy that you just beat to clinch the division and you barely beat them with all of those interceptions. The reason that they're in all these games, Chris, it's obviously because of their offense. So when I take a look at who they are on that side of the ball, this is where there's some concern. They run a vertical passing game. They they, they work vertical downfield routes, try to use play action, and try to essentially, they try to find those holes in your zone or run through them. And it's on Watson to pass the ball into those gaps. 
But when you see some of the most prolific vertical passing attacks in the NFL over the years, the one thing that all of them have in common is that there's an effective tight end on the roster. In fact, it's a crux of the most dynamic passing attacks in the league. Their tight ends have almost no yardage to speak of. Their leading tight end has 300 yards. Right around 300 yards. Tommy Sweeney just had 76, 77. Yeah, sounds about right. Almost a third of their starting tight, their, their number one tight end's total yardage in one game. And that's our fourth string tight end. It speaks to the, the athletic profile of those players. They don't have explosive tight ends. And I think that that hurts what they're able to do in the passing game because now, especially when you're talking about a pair of guys like Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano, they're going to be able to just, hey, that tight end, he's not a threat. So just stick with him. Stick with him in a shallow zone and pass him off to the safety. Watch what's going on with these wide receivers on crossing routes. It's going to condense what the what the Houston Texans offense is able to do if they if they if they execute appropriately. In the red zone is the only place that the Texans tight ends really do any damage. They have nine touchdowns between the two of them. Jordan Akins, Darren Fells, a whole lot of what? Who? They're both NFL veterans. Neither one of them are stellar athletes, but in the red zone they become dangerous. Outside of that, they are not threats, especially to a team like this, Chris, who's done a really good job of taking away opposing tight ends right up until that Patriots game. So when you take a look at what it is they try to do with their wide receivers, not having Will Fuller is going to really hurt them in this game because DeAndre Hopkins is DeAndre Hopkins. Chris, you've played against him in fantasy football. You've watched him wreck entire days of yours. Yeah. Because... He he runs routes so clean, he's so big, his catch radius is massive. DeAndre Hopkins is going to get his. He really is. He's going to find space in our defense. He's going to catch the ball. What you can't do is let everyone else beat you, which is why their offense was so effective when Will Fuller was healthy. With Will Fuller out, the only other downfield threat that they have is Kenny Stills, who's a small wide receiver. So when you're asking him to carry downfield, but he can't outsize anybody for jump balls, catches on the sideline, things of that nature, it kind of it shortens what you can get away with. It decreases what you as an offensive coordinator can call. Because you know you don't have athletic tight ends, and especially against a team like the Buffalo Bills, I expect those tight ends to struggle, unless we ignore them completely like we did to New England. Chris, I feel really good about that. Yeah, I feel good about our secondary against their receiving core, whether it's a tight end or wide receivers. I mean, if it's a tight end like you're talking about and, you know, you, the linebacker's got to play a shallow zone, oh, yeah, here, let me just hand this off to Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde. Well, and so here's the, here's the one thing that has been balancing their offense all season, the rushing attack. Now, with remember Lamar Miller? Yes, they don't have him, right? They have Amon Green. He got, <laughs> Amon Green! Can you just get into a time machine and go back to 1995? <laughs> Amon Green. So, they had Lamar Miller. He tears his, he, I think, his Achilles or his ACL in the offseason. 
they trade for Carlos Hyde. Carlos Hyde sparks their offense this season, he, which I think was a stupid trade. But he really brought around their rushing abilities. I mean, when you look at what he's done this season statistically, he's he's been solid. I mean, you're talking about a guy with over 1,000 yards rushing, six touchdowns. He's averaging four and a half a carry for the season. Regardless of who they've played, how badly they've been beaten, he averages four a carry. What he does, he has this ability to run both inside and outside the tackles and has some speed or at least he did early on in the season. You know, he showed, what, what, he had 10 runs of more than 20 yards? Sure. Okay. I don't know. I don't do that research. I know. I do. That's why I'm the numbers guy here. I put this shit together, Chris. Raise your glass. Yeah, to you. To me. (laughs) But in the last month, teams have kind of figured out how to stop Carlos Hyde. And what it is, is you have to plug the the in-between-the-tackles gaps. And I think that there's something going on here with him. Because when you watch his production, essentially what's happened. In the last month, Carlos Hyde has zero runs of 15 or more yards. After having 10 of more than 20. Against the Patriots, he had no runs of more than 5 yards. And everything that they tried to run him on was just between the tackles. Week 16 against Tampa... He was held to just one run of more than five yards. Their interior offensive line has been beat up over the course of this season, and they're struggling to get push. And I think that unless he's given an accidental just wide-open lane, he's not a running back who can create on his own. So if you're a defensive line who can just muddy the water a little bit up front, you can severely diminish what that running back is capable of. And then Deshaun Watson, he's the, he's, the, he's, the, he's the straw that stirs the drink on offense for the, for the Houston Texans. He's a dynamic athlete. And I've seen, I know Twitter after the draft, everyone was pissed that the Bills didn't try to get Deshaun Watson. Oh, look at how good Watson is. And we drafted a cornerback and traded down. I've never understood that argument, but hey. A new head coach coming in was never going to make a pick on a quarterback that he hasn't scouted. That doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't. Look at the work that they put in to try to identify Josh Allen as our starter. Yeah. So, with Watson, you've paid attention to him because there's been a contingent of our fan base that looks at him as the what-could-have-been quarterback. But I'm not going to lie. This season, he's not been that impressive. He's a unique talent. He's got athleticism, accuracy, arm strength, and his pocket presence is pretty good. Good enough that he can use his feet to extend a play and keep his eyes downfield to try to connect with somebody. You have to to respect his ability to throw downfield. But with that said, I take a look at his passing chart over at NFL Next Gen Stats. The only place that he's above league average this year when he's throwing is to the right side of the field, and it's all coming within, what, less than 20 yards. Anything outside of 20 yards downfield and not to the right, he's below league average in completion percentage. That's a problem. Remember when we said Duck Hodges only threw one way and did yeah, it really well? like Rick Miner. And you saw us take away what it was Doug Hodges was trying to do when passing the football. 
He was forced to go try to make passes that he wasn't comfortable making. And we made him pay for it. Considering the turnover streak he's on, and the fact that you see this in his game, the fact that Watson has this, I don't know, reliance on a certain area of the field. Any good defensive coordinator worth his salt with a little bit of talent on his defense can work to try to take that away. My my question about Deshaun Watson would be, he I think he has a similar skill set to Lamar Jackson, maybe not as great of a runner, but would you want to roll out a similar defensive game plan to stop him? I'd say somewhat, but I feel like the, the, the Ravens offense was too unique. It was too unique, and it was... We did a really good job of film study and showing figuring out how to stop their their tells in the run game and how to close in on them. Chris, we hemmed the Ravens in on the run when running the football. But that didn't translate into success against the New England Patriots. They ran the ball down our throats. So, I'm not just going to project it because we did well against one athletic quarterback with a good rushing attack that we can do it again. What I see, though, when I look at Watson... And again, you're breaking him down statistically week over week. He's got four games since their bye week in week 10 with less than 225 yards passing. He's got a 2-2 two and two record in those games. People believe he's more injured than he's actually letting on. I mean, Chris, he's thrown less than 200 yards in each of his last two starts. He's got more interceptions than touchdowns. I believe... That given the, I mean, he's taking a beating behind that offensive line. I wouldn't be shocked to find out he's more injured than he's letting on. And if that's the case, it would explain why this guy, with all of these weapons and all these tools and all the physical tools, isn't producing. And I think that this defense is equipped to go deal with that. I think that if we play a smart game plan, and if we can deploy, Chris, especially when it comes to just taking away Hopkins. Make somebody else on the t- on the defense beat you. That's it. You're talking about a quarterback who's had a, a rough ride this season. He's leading his team into a place where he, last year he and his team got blown out by the Andrew Luck Colts, twenty-one to seven. Chris, this team is not infallible. They're probably the most imperfect team in the the playoff field and I'm more than happy that we drew them as our competition and so with that we have our keys to victory wow it's a lot of keys bigger the keychain more powerful the man Chris I'm yes. gonna flex over here like Hulk Hogan because I've got keys I've got keys for days first of all the linebackers have to contain the rush without safety help One of the things that's allowed the Texans to air the ball out this season is the fact that behind Carlos Hyde, their rushing attack has allowed the Texans to just feast on opposing secondaries using play-action passing. When they do find success in the passing game, a lot of it's keyed off of that. For the Bills' defense to stay afloat in that regard, you're going to have to show that you can contain the rushing attack of the Texans without committing a ton of secondary help to the effort. Because those guys are going to have their hands full, Chris. You've got Hopkins still. You've got Stills out there. You've got, I believe, Kiki Kuti might play. 
He's going to be their slot receiver. He's not great, but he's shifty enough that he can give you problems if you're a slower nickel corner like Saran Neal. Yeah, and then if you blow on him, he gets injured. (laughs) Ultimately, what I need to see is Milano and Edmonds making smart choices at the line of scrimmage and finishing their tackles. I can't see any more of that bullshit Milano pulled in New England where Rex Burkhead just ate his lunch two or three different times. Can't have it. If they can do that, the two of them alone, it's going to go a long way to freeing up Poyer and Hyde to patrolling the back end and keeping Hopkins and Stills kind of hemmed in. The second key, avoid getting beat by the quote-unquote big play. We run a zone scheme, Chris. It's, it's a conservative defensive scheme. It's specifically designed to try and limit opposing offenses from getting behind you in coverage. And the Bills do it better than almost anybody in the business. We've allowed just 15 passing touchdowns all year, which is tied for second fewest in the NFL. That's how good our secondary is. Tredavious White. We have a weapon that nobody else has. We have a Trey White. In 599 coverage snaps... Trey White has allowed zero touchdowns. You can bet your ass that wherever you see DeAndre Hopkins on the field on Saturday, you're going to find Trey White. And this, But there again, that's going to be... Chris, this is the biggest test Trey White's had all season. I mean, what are the wide receivers he's had to cover this year? Cortland Sutton, he's okay, but he's not, he's not proven. Uh, Cleveland, who's he covering? Landry or Beckham? Beckham. All right. I, okay. I mean, he's he's okay. DeAndre Hopkins is better than Odell Beckham. Correct. Based on <laughs> based on based Odell. on who throws him the ball, he's better than Odell Beckham. So, with that said, that's the matchup. That right there. In this game, given the nature of just our offensive and defensive makeup, playing a considerable amount of zone defensive scheme is going to help. Keep them from getting behind us. That Wallace injury is going to be big here, Chris. Because I don't know if Johnson can run the same zone concepts that Wallace did as well as he could. The thing this team can't do is allow ourselves to fall prey to a big play. Deep shots down the field. I mean, we've watched Watson and Hopkins kill teams with a few big plays that otherwise... Otherwise, they've been pedestrian on offense. But if they connect on a few big ones, it keeps them in the game. Think about the Bills being in the game, leading New England in the fourth quarter. Why? They outplayed us on offense, but we made two big plays. And it changed the composure of the entire game. We cannot allow the Texans to do the same. Can't do it. You can't give up yards after the catch, and you sure as hell can't let them get behind you. So with that, if you can figure out a way to keep your safeties involved in your coverage patterns, it's going to go a long way towards keeping the Texans off the scoreboard. On offense, you have to find a way to exploit the secondary at the intermediate and deep levels. I mean, Chris, the Texans' secondary is statistically, they are Buzz's girlfriend from Home Alone. Woof! (laughs) Woof! A fat girl with braces. That is the Texans' defensive secondary. 
despite the fact that right now we don't have a true third wide receiver, we have to find a way to hit them early and often enough downfield that their linebackers are going to be shaken off of the line of scrimmage and Gore and Singletary can kind of pace the offense. The Texans secondary has a whopping nine, nine players who have allowed a hundred or more quarterback rating when they get thrown at. Chris, it's literally almost every single member of their secondary. Five defensive backs who have given up multiple touchdowns in coverage. Their secondary as a whole is the weakness of this defense. In that way, the Bills are going to have to try to... Chris, you their defensive line is going to be good, especially if J.J. Watt plays. Their, eh. their defensive line is big and they're physical. But everybody behind them is a liability. What you can do for a Bills team that's going to need the running game to get off the ground in order to win, you have to pick on those shitty cornerbacks. The cornerbacks that allow everybody to have a 100 quarterback rating, 118, 120. The safety that's given up five touchdowns this year. You have to pick on those guys to shake your linebackers out of the box force them to drop back in coverage a little bit more. Get a little bit of tight end usage in there so that your running backs can come in and pace the offense for you. And then the final key is coaching. Chris, this isn't Sean McDermott's first rodeo with the NFL postseason. Not only has he coached this team in the postseason before, But in total, over the course of his career, he has approximately 26 games of experience in the playoffs. So the pressure of the NFL postseason isn't anything. It's uncharted territory for Sean McDermott. Which is good because no one outside of him has experience to spare. Chris, you and I were looking over the numbers and looking at the roster. The idea that this team is so young and has so little postseason experience, it's bad, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you're talking about only eight of our starting 22 players have more than two games of playoff experience. Our quarterback is a second-year player. Some of the most exciting talents we have, Dawson Knox, Devin Singletary, these guys are rookies. When Sean McDermott stated, when he produced this mantra of quote-unquote playoff caliber back in 2017, it's because he envisioned a team that was fundamentally sound and meticulous enough in their preparation that they could show that they belonged in the NFL postseason. This season is his opportunity to make good on that and take the process to the next level. Chris, You saw the video, or maybe you didn't. I sat here and watched it and got some goosebumps because you watched them inside the Bills facility pulling down the playoff caliber stickers from all the window. And they're replacing them with championship caliber stickers. And when you hear Sean McDermott talk about it in his press conference, and he says, hey, we set a standard for ourselves, playoff caliber. Be a playoff caliber football team. And he says, well, now that we're there, I'm not satisfied with that. No, now it's championship caliber. Now you have to go prove that you can win a game or two in the postseason. Chris, doesn't it just... It speaks to who McDermott is. 
and what he thinks of this roster and the, the, the mental makeup of the guys that he's coaching. He wanted to bring in guys. Think about the people he got rid of. Sammy Watkins. Sammy Watkins, Marcel Darius. Yep. Uh, uh, what? Uh, Roby. Yeah. Or not Roby. Uh, Jesus. Who's their second-run draft pick? Oh, um, Darby. Darby. Because Darby didn't want to play his own defense. He said, okay, if you don't want in, yeah. fuck out. He wanted to know that he was building a roster full of guys, men, who were highly coachable, who he could motivate to say, look, it's not about, hey, we have a goal and once we reach it, we quit. It's, okay, we reached a plateau. Now let's see if we can reach the next one. When you look at it, to get to that next plateau, it's going to come down to whichever team is prepared via film study, just execution on the field, in-game adjustments. Who comes in with the best plan of attack? That means that McDermott and his coordinators have to make sure that these young and inexperienced players are ready and led to the best of their abilities as a coaching staff. Okay, His competition on the other sideline Sean McDermott, this isn't New England with Bill Belichick that we're talking about. This is Bill O'Brien, the same guy who needed five years to obtain his first 10-win season. He has just one postseason victory to his credit in six years. Chris, six years. He has one playoff win against a hapless Raiders team, which we're not that Nope. He's a coach who, despite home field advantage multiple times in the playoffs, have lost all of his postseason games that he lost by more than 14 points. Chris, he got shut out at home by Kansas City. Beautiful. We're talking pre-Alex Smith, Kansas City. (laughs) It's bad. It's real bad. Bill O'Brien is susceptible to collapses in the postseason. He's certainly not prepared his team for the defensive aspect of the game. His teams have never been good defensively, and this might be one of his worst. And so behind that, it's on McDermott to have a plan. Coach these young guys up and be that steady hand on the wheel when shit hits the fan and everything gets wild. Because, Chris, it's playoff football. Things are going to go awry. There's going to be problems. There's going to be ebbs and flows in the game. And what they need is Sean McDermott to be that steadying force. Go out there, Sean, and outcoach a man who's clearly susceptible to it. And in the process, plant your flag into the NFL coaching hierarchy. Let everyone else know, the rest of the world know, that you're here. That you've arrived as a head coach. And not just a head coach, but also that the Buffalo Bills, under your guidance, could do something special. This is the first step towards it, Chris, and I can't wait to see it. I know. Get him fired up! I, I'm assuming you'll run through uh, my front door there. You sound like you want to run through a wall right now. I'm two-fisting beers right now. As you usually do. <laughs> Chris, usually we do predictions. Instead, I have a different course of course of action here. Instead of predicting the score, I want you to predict what the experience of watching this game is going to be like. 
I think this is going to be great. I mean, uh, good food, good people. We'll have the game on. You know, I don't know at what point in the game you'll turn it on mute because you're sick of Booger McFarlane and all of his nonsense. How far into the game do you believe I'm still wearing a shirt? You'll wear a shirt the whole way through. But when we do a press conference, I don't know what I don't I don't know what's gonna I don't know what's gonna happen. Oh, folks, I can't wait. Playoff football. This is it. This is the most exciting time of the year, and the Buffalo Bills are a part of it. And I can't wait to see it unfold. Before it kicks off at 8 a.m. on Saturday, at, or excuse me, 11 a.m. Saturday morning, over at the Rock Sports Network Facebook page, the Huddle TV show live from Thur- Thurman Thomas's 34 Rush at Batavia Downs. I'm going to be there with a panel of other guests, and we're going to be previewing our matchup with the Houston Texans. We're going to break down our expectations for the game. Maybe even throw Seagram's better two around. Who doesn't want to see that? I'm going to put a link to the show in tonight's description. If you can't make it out to Batavia Downs and have a beer with the old boy Drew Gear prior to kickoff, make sure you come and check out the show. Guys, this is it. One and done. For all the marbles. An opportunity for the Buffalo Bills as a football team to announce that they're not they're not willing to be overlooked anymore. This Chris, this is a chance for us as a franchise to take that next step. We were languishing in essentially irrelevance until Sean McDermott got here. And every season Sean McDermott's walked this team through the year and you learn things about them. You learn things about him as a coach. You realize that he's building something. This is his opportunity, Chris, to really put his stamp on not just this team, but this division. In the AFC, in the hierarchy of coaching, across the NFL. I can't wait to see it. Guys, be loud, be proud. If you're heading down there, give them hell. We got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. that's Chris Krueger, and this has been the Rock Pile Report. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.